My friends, we are in the middle of our series called The Company We Keep. We're talking about those relationships in our lives that we choose to have in our lives. And the most significant one, apart from your relationship with Jesus Christ, is if and who you will get married to. So that deserves our attention this morning. Would you pray with me and we'll study the word. Gracious God, we thank you for this good opportunity. For those who have taken the opportunity, help us to do something good with it. For those of us who might be seeking that opportunity or open to it or understand that it might be somewhere out there in the future for us, help us to seek it and embrace it. In your name we pray. Amen. So a young man got up at a wedding reception, the best man. He took one snide look at the bride and then took the microphone and said, marriage is a walk in the park, Jurassic Park. <laughs> and, and you understand that there are tons of jokes about marriage and they go both ways about brides and grooms. But the truth is, deciding if you'll get married or, and who you're going to marry really is no joke. In this series where we're considering the people that we put around us, the person that we end up marrying is going to be the most significant of those relationships. Now they say that love is blind, but that marriage is a real eye-opener. And in thinking about preaching on marriage, I think there's some things that we just need to, we need to get straight right at the beginning here. There's, there's a couple things that I, I just want to be honest about and, and open with you on. First of all, um, I am not an expert in marriage, although Pastor Sung and I have been married for 16 years, happily, most of the time. Um, but there are people in this congregation who have far more experience than I do. So I'm not coming into this with all of the answers, nor do we have the time this morning to cover absolutely everything that the scripture has to say to us about marriage. It is extensive. The other thing I want to say to you is that just because you are not currently married, maybe not ever seeking to get married, really are against marriage or any other wide variety of where you find yourself this morning, this is still a sermon for you because scripture is good for all of us. And so all of us come to learn what the scripture has to teach us. The Christian understanding of marriage is really based on a straightforward reading of the biblical texts. So according to the Bible, God devised marriage to reflect his saving love for us in Jesus Christ, to refine our character and to create stable human community for the birth and nurture of children, and to accomplish all of this by bringing us into a complementary, enduring, whole life union. The first marriage took place in the book of Genesis, and the one who officiated that wedding was none other than God himself. Genesis 2, starting in verse 22, records it like this. And the rib that the Lord God has taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And then the man said, this at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This one shall be called woman, for out of man this one was taken. 
Therefore, a man leaves his father and mother and clings to his wife, and they become one flesh. Marriage has been instituted by God. Now, the last time that marriage is spoken about in the Bible is in the book of Revelation, where the church is referred to as the bride of Christ. And I just want to make sure that we remind ourselves that whenever we talk about church in this place, we're talking about people. We're not talking about the building. So the church is the bride of Christ. Revelation 19.7 reads, Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. The Lamb, of course, refers to Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. Marriage was designed to be a reflection of the saving love of God for us in Jesus Christ. Now, the reason that we start with these two scriptures that bookend the Bible is because they lay the foundation for what we're studying this morning in Ephesians chapter 5. Paul writes, be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. I want to highlight for you here that the first thing that Paul says is be subject to one another. So this is a two-way street. A lot of people like to chop off this verse when they get to the next one that comes along. Wives, be subject to your husbands as you are to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, just as Christ is the head of the church, the body of which he is the Savior. Just as the church is subject to Christ, so wives ought to be in everything to their husbands. Right. So we get to this part, and this is one of those, this is one of those sections of Scripture where people like to just cut out the part that they like. Right? We just, just the part that they like. But remember that this started with be subject to one another. So wives have just heard our part of it. Gentlemen, this is for you. Husbands, love your wives. We only have to respect you, but you have to love us. Love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her in order to make her holy by cleansing her with the washing of water by the word so as to present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or anything of the kind so that she may be holy and without blemish. And it's not, this is not just a little bit of love. This is not a fake love. This is the kind of love that, that in order to help men understand it, it says that you love your wife as you love your own body. And if you are taking care of your own body, you take care of your wife. This is a great mystery, says Paul, and I am applying it to Christ in the church. Each of you, however, should love his wife as himself, and a wife should respect her husband. So what we've got going on here is this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the people of Ephesus, and the letter as a whole deals with godly living. This particular section is devoted to marriage, and Paul talks about the responsibilities of women in marriage. He talks about the responsibilities of men in marriage. But at the very end of the passage, he writes... This is a great mystery, and I am applying it to Christ and the church. So I want us to think about Christ and the church 
the church being the followers of Christ. Now, we believe that Jesus Christ is Lord of all, King of kings, the Prince of peace, majorly big, super huge deal in our faith. And we believe that he came into the world and he lived amongst us, not above us as he most absolutely certainly could have, but instead among us, and he took on the work of a carpenter. So the one who would ultimately save us first got down on his hands and knees and tenderly washed the feet of his followers. There is no plausible explanation for any of his actions other than to acknowledge that everything that Jesus did was rooted in a place of deep, deep love. So if you are going to imitate Jesus when it comes to your marriage, we are going to root ourselves in a place of deep, deep love. And the church, therefore, responds to that love not out of compulsion or force or even out of a simple obligation, but instead with joy and a heart of service. The relationship between Christ and the church is the example that we are given for marriage. The respect that Paul talks about is rooted, develops, and strengthens according to the unconditional love that is given. There is not going to be one without the other. So if you focus in on this whole business of women, men are the head of the house, you've got to respect them, Without the part of men, love your wives, you are missing the whole of Scripture and you fail, you fail to see God's full plan for marriage. So I want to fast forward a little bit to 2003 uh, when I sat down with my first couple as an ordained pastor that asked me to marry them. And the first question I asked the bride-to-be was, why, why do you want to marry him? By the way, learning curve for your pastor. Um, I stopped asking that question while the other person was sitting right there. And <laughs> it goes a lot better. But, uh, but she, said, she said, because he makes me happy. Because he makes me happy. And so I asked him, why do you want to marry her because he makes me happy. And I immediately had some flashbacks to when Pastor Sung and I were dating. When Pastor Sung and I were dating, the craziest thing happened. I am an outdoor person. I love all things outdoors. Hiking, camping, whitewater rafting. I love it. And do you know that Pastor Sung did too? While we were dating. <laughs> right? But then once we got married, magically, all of that disappeared. See, because it made me happy and he was going to make me happy. Do you see the difference between, between that and Christ and the church? Christ died for us and we live for him, sacrificing for each other versus the common perception the people have a marriage today where, where the whole purpose is for somebody else to come along and make us happy. These are not compatible worldviews. Everything in the text proclaims that marriage next to our relationship to God is the most profound relationship there is. And that is why, like knowing God himself, coming to know and love your spouse 
is difficult and painful at times, yet it is rewarding and wondrous. Marriage is quite a journey, and it's often said that you can be married to someone for 20 years and then finally figure out who they are. Because we change as people, so if, if the idea is that we're only going to get married because they make us happy, well then what happens when they don't? That's when marriage becomes disposable and difficult and painful. So that's probably one of the reasons why the war to devalue, devalue marriage has been going on. And yet, for as bad a rap as marriage has gotten in recent years, study after study shows that the overwhelming majority of people in this country say that it is still something that they desire for their lives. Why is that? Why is that? Well, for starters, if you talk to couples who've been married for a significant period of time, they will tell you that marriage provides a profound shock absorber that helps you to navigate disappointments and illnesses and other difficulties. I know very few couples who, when they first got married, really actually considered that part about sickness versus health. They, they stood there, they said the words, but I'm not really sure that they understood that it was the whole package. But this should not come as a surprise to students of the Bible because this is exactly why God created marriage to begin with, so that we would have a suitable helper when life got hard. That goes all the way back to Genesis. This is one of those areas of the faith where, where Catholics and Protestants, we are very much united on this we see that the purpose of marriage was to create a framework for lifelong devotion and a love between a husband and a wife. And we understand that marriage is given as a gift from God, not merely to Christians, but to the benefit of the entirety of humanity. It creates a social stability in which children can grow and thrive. And yet, during the Enlightenment, things began to shift a little bit. The, the meaning of life came to be seen as the fruit of the freedom of an individual to choose the life that most personally fulfills him or her. So marriage then was seen as a contract between two parties for mutual but individual growth and satisfaction. Married persons married for themselves, to fulfill, not to fulfill responsibilities to God or to society. So in short, marriage used to be a public institution for the common good. But more and more, it's become a private arrangement for the satisfaction of individuals. In other words, marriage used to be about us, and now marriage seems to be a little bit more about me. And the problem with this new view of marriage is that while it's supposed to be liberating and new age and, and getting away from the perception of these oppressive traditional views of marriage, it's actually causing a great deal of pain. And it's leading to the steep decline in marriage because it values individual freedom, autonomy, personal fulfillment, none of which particularly lend themselves to going through life with another person. Now go back to my young couple. If the purpose for them to get married is to bring personal happiness, what happens when one of them fails 
to make the other one happy. Well, I suppose then it's time for them each to just move along. If that's what your marriage is rooted in and that's no longer happening, well, then there's really no point in staying together. But when we go back and we look at God's purpose for marriage to experience and reflect in a sacred way that connection between Christ and the church, then to outdo one another in love and in service, we discover that there are lifelong blessings to be had. Now, I want you to understand marriage is not always easy. And certainly the sacrifices that Jesus made for us were not easy. But because of those sacrifices, we are changed people, ones who have a hope and a future. And again, we can go back to the secular studies which support the idea that the benefits of marriage far outweigh any of those perceived drawbacks. Now, in this passage, Paul refers to marriage as a great mystery. And I think those of us that have gotten married would say, yeah, uh, we could see that. <laughs> but in the Greek, the word mysterion also includes this idea of a secret. In the Bible, this word is used to mean not, not some esoteric knowledge known only to insiders, but rather some wondrous, unlooked-for truth that God is revealing to us through his spirit. So what's the great secret about marriage? In short, the secret is simply not the fact of marriage per se. It is the message that couples, Paul focuses particularly on husbands, but it goes both ways. Couples should do what Jesus did to bring us into union with himself. So he gave himself up for us. Notice that wives need to respect their husbands, but husbands must love their wives. So gentlemen, the burden, the burden is on you because understand that there is nowhere in Scripture where abuse, coercion, force, any of that is okay. So you start from a place of unconditional love. That is where the scripture starts, and that is what Jesus modeled. Jesus is the head of the church, and men, if you are the head of the family, your job is to love unconditionally. That is a deep, sacrificial relationship that we are talking about here. Jesus' sacrificial service to, to us has brought us into this deep union with him and he with us. And that, Paul says, is the key not only to understanding marriage, but living it. Remember that this is one of God's great purposes in marriage, to picture the relationship between Christ and his redeemed people forever. Therefore, marriage only works to the degree that it approximates the pattern of God's self-giving love in Jesus Christ. Over the years, I have asked countless long-married couples their secret, and although they don't use extremely churchy words, their own words reflect things like humility, mutual adoration, sacrifice, commitment, 
The secret is that the gospel of Jesus and marriage explain one another. That when God invented marriage, he'd already had the saving work of Jesus in mind. So whether it is that you are already in a marriage, you are considering one, leaving open the possibility, have seen other marriages, have interacted with marriage in any way, you must ask yourself if respect and sacrificial love are the hallmarks of your union. If they are not, then that deserves your time, your attention, and exploration, given that once again, this is the most significant relationship apart from your relationship with Christ that you will ever choose for yourself. Marriage is a gift from God for the whole of humanity. It is set apart, sacred, and its worth and value drip through the entirety of the scriptures of our faith. Whenever I stand with a couple at the altar, I want them to know that marriage is glorious but hard. It is burning joy and strength, and yet it is also blood, sweat, and tears filled with humbling defeats, exhausting victories, and ultimate triumph. And if you really think about it, that is exactly how you would explain the gospel. Would you pray with me? Gracious and holy God, bless the marriages in the life of this church. Bless those who have worked hard to proximate the relationship of Christ and the church. Bless those who are struggling with it. Bless those who are considering it. Bless those who have closed themselves to the possibility of it. Help us to be an encouragement to one another, to point out those places of respect and unconditional sacrificial love. Forgive us when we don't get it right. Help us to course correct when necessary. We thank you for the witness that you have given to us through Christ and the church. May we be faithful in following that example. In your name we pray. Amen.